This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You are listening to Into the Comics Cave with your host, comic book heartthrob, Grant Stoy. Hello, this is uh, Into the Comics Cave. I'm still Grant, but we have a new guest this week, as we do, as we do every week. But still, uh, I'm very excited because um, this guy is not just uh, one of the premier letterers in the biz, uh, he is a writer that is very good, uh, and I would say he's a comic bon vivant. Uh, <laughs> I have Tom Roscoe with me. Hi, Tom. How you doing, bud? I'm great, Grant. I want to hear you speak more French. Where do I pay for that to happen? <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> my French is limited to what I saw in that Muzzy commercial. <laughs> you remember Muzzy commercials? I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh my gosh. It was, in the States, they had the stupid like animated video person thing that they try to push on kids to learn French. Oh, okay. And one of the things I said was, just fais la jeune fille. <laughs> and I didn't learn later uh, that that's saying, like, I'm a little girl or something. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's 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 not good stuff. Oh, now, now that you have your glasses on, we are like before and after pictures of losing weight. Hmm. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I don't I don't know what that refers to, but I'll take it as a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure if it's if if it's whatever. So Tobin, now that I've got you here, mm. I want to know where did you grow up? Okay, this is gonna be very exciting. <laughs> um, okay, so I grew up in what's essentially a nine months out of the year it's winter town surrounded by indigenous reservations in Saskatchewan, Canada. And so I mention all those things because they're all very important into the lifestyle and, and stuff of all that stuff. So winter being so prominent meant that we spent a lot of time uh, indoors, reading, playing games, watching movies, fighting over the two channels that we had to watch cartoons on. Oh, geez. And then uh, growing up, with like the the weirdness of 
of the tensions that come with that kind of uh, culture clash was also very interesting. So then moving to a bigger city has been really nice because you're like, wow, yeah, there's more than just like wheat and hockey in life. Right? <laughs> Everyone has different interests. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And like food tastes good and stuff. Yeah. So the town was called Battleford, which also is very ironic because it's it's uh, it was built as the premier trading post during the Louis Riel Rebellion. We're getting into some really hardcore Canadian history right now. Well, this is actually very interesting because I know like exactly nothing about Canadian history. Okay. All right. So here's your five minutes of of like prairie history back in the 1800s. Um, so yeah, so Battleford was a fort, Fort Battleford. It was a trading post that was basically between two really big centers. So you had like Fort Capel, which was in Alberta slash kind of more Northern Can or, uh, Saskatchewan. Okay. And then like Winnipeg, although that's really far from, from where things would be, but still maybe like Regina is probably the better, uh, go between. So the, the Louis rail rebellion was essentially there uh so you have right like indigenous tribes like like the blackfoot and, and that kind of stuff that are mm -hmm. all over saskatchewan alberta but then you have the metis which are when the french traders and settlers came in they would marry the indigenous women have children and that's what the blend was called was metis huh. so you have metis people you have indigenous tribes and then you have of course white settlers and pretty soon the Métis started realizing like, hey, we're not getting the the um, benefits of any of this trade or, or culture or economy that's happening. And so they are really kind of the ones that were pushed to the side. So this gentleman, Louis Riel, who is Métis, was like, well, I'm going to do something about it. And so he'd organized all these tribes and stuff. And basically it was a rebellion. They fought back against the governments and all that stuff. And so it kind of enveloped like central Canada for 10-ish years, maybe something like that. Oh, wow. And so, yeah, from like Winnipeg and Manitoba, all through Saskatchewan and chunks of Alberta, like big, big, big battles um, where, so where I grew up was kind of the, the halfway point. It was built because we have the Saskatchewan River, which kind of split Saskatchewan in half from Alberta all the way down through Manitoba. And so, of course, waterways are, are important in those kind of military operations. And so it was a trading post and a big military fort. It's a really weird place because they, I'm trying to remember the correct word, they hanged <laughs> uh, multiple First Nations chiefs there. Oh, geez. So that's kind of crazy. And what was the other thing? There was, there's something else significant, but it's slipping my mind. So it's probably not that important if I can't remember it. Um, and so, yeah, in school, right, we'd have like our social studies lessons and we'd learn that kind of stuff. And then we'd go to the fort and be like this is where like you know these are the um the barracks this is the jail this is like where they would keep stuff and then do all this kind of stuff and then we'd walk down and it's like this is the grave where these chiefs are buried oh my gosh from from that kind of thing so yeah it was a very prominent part of that culture and that history um for good and for bad but uh it was very interesting to have that kind of as a main point of like study and focus all through my history and or all through my childhood essentially right uh the two things number one that was incredibly informative i had <laughs> no idea and this is stuff i want to look up later uh and number two your professor is showing mm. uh tobin is also uh has doing some professoring yep not 
not of things probably that matter that much, <laughs> but it's been fun nonetheless. Would, would you like to share what you have uh, taught at the collegiate level? Sure. Yeah. So I have the very fortunate privilege of having taught perhaps the nerdiest courses that have existed <laughs> in uh, that you can get university credits for, I guess I should say. So I started with teaching game studies, which is exactly what it sounds. You study video games, board games, card games, all that kind of stuff. And then I taught Harry Potter. And I've been a TA in the Lord of the Rings courses, both graduate level and undergraduate level. And then I taught uh, the superhero. Yeah. And I don't think there's one that I'm missing because there's not like, there's not like the Witcher or what would be an equivalent. You know, Harry Potter is probably the most impactful. I guess there, I mean, we have like fantasy and, and science fiction, but for like named, you know, Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, and then superhero and comics or uh, superhero, because that encompasses comics and then game studies. That's kind of it, right? I Am I missing so. anything? Didn't you teach a D&D &D, uh, lesson plan or something? I mean, I'm working on that. So when uh, I when I get... Okay, so I, those are the nerdy things. But then I also taught like communication and engineering, communication and sciences. <laughs> but when I, when, I finally get, when I finally get my like introduction to English course, I'm teaching that through playing D&D. Yeah, that's the plan. Uh, I'll do that. But that is yet to, to actually happen. That's going to be really rad. Yeah. So... I'd like to know when about did you encounter uh, sequential art and comics during during this time in in Battleford? Oh, that's a great question. So there's kind of multiple points where I was introduced to it, but it didn't really stick. And I'll illustrate that with with these stories. So when I was a kid, so I guess the other thing to understand about Battleford is like the most exciting thing that we would do is basically like a Saturday matinee of, you know, Anastasia or like Atlantis, right? That kind of stuff. Yeah. There was there was nowhere you could go to buy. I don't even know if we could buy books. <laughs> I think oh, I think the only time that we ever bought new books were at like Scholastic Book Orders and Book Fairs. Okay. I mean, we had we had a Walmart. I think I was eight or nine when we got our first Walmart. And beyond that, we'd have to drive an hour and a half to like an actual city that had like a Coles or something like that for actual books. So it, being exposed to comics proper, I would say I was 18. Oh, wow. But sequential art began with Archie comics because oh, you nice. could go to the grocery store, right? And, and or the supermarket, I guess it wasn't really even a grocery store. And get your double digests and and that kind of stuff but we would get them mostly from yard sales or like my older siblings would get them from their friends because their little si siblings were done with them and be like here you have little brothers and sisters give them these and so that's kind of where it started so we'd read those on the way to the lake and on the way to you know where we'd go camping and stuff so that's really like the origin of sequential art would be archie comics but then when i was 14 so not really even I don't even, I might've had my first job by then, I think. Yeah, cause I was playing music by then. So I was buying hardware and symbols and stuff. So I was making money. Um, we found Shonen Jump. So if you don't know what Shonen Jump is, it's the monthly anthology of manga. And the reason why I found it, actually I was in the city. I wasn't even in my town proper yet. So I was in the city, we were at Kohl's probably. And I was like, I can buy this $16 book. 
and also get a Yu-Gi-Oh card because that's very <laughs> integral into this origin story because I would not have purchased it if I didn't get this ultra rare Yu-Gi-Oh card because at the time what I would do is I would become a member of all these different Yu-Gi-Oh forums and type out like here's the cards I own that I want to trade here's all the cards I'm looking for and we'd comment on each other's posts saying like oh I have a lava golem but I want your dark paladin does that sound fair and so we'd say, yep, we'd send each other our physical mailing addresses. And on the, on the honor system, we would mail cards, not even across like the country or the continent, like across the world. I would ship cards to Singapore and Israel and Australia and New Zealand and Boston and, you know, local or places. But literally like Yu-Gi-Oh cards traveling the planet to my That's mailbox. Amazing. So that was the motivation to pick up Shonen Jump. So then I started reading Shonen Jump. Um, and that's where I read like Naruto and One Piece and Hikaru no Go and uh, Ice Shield, like, you know, that kind of like really exactly for my age range stories and was just flabbergasted. Like the stuff that I remember seeing in that first um, Shonen Jump, like is forever burned in my brain. So then I convinced my parents to get a subscription because it was dirt cheap. You'd get these huge magazines of like 500, 600 pages for like eight bucks. Like, you know, you, you don't get better value than that in comics. If like ever, I don't think you could ever, <laughs> you know, get to that quantity. So I did that for a long time. Then I kind of fell off of it because they started bringing in series that I didn't really care about. So I fell off of that. And then all through high school, it was really just like video games and music. So then when I finished high school and I was working a full-time job and I had my license, I could go to the city whenever I wanted. Um, I watched the Scott Pilgrim movie. And was, again, blown away by just visual storytelling. I didn't know that movies could be like that. And then it's like, hey, if you like this, go buy the comics. And I thought, well, you know, I have Shonen Jump in my bedroom still. Like, I can I can read some comics. So I went and bought the box set. And walking into a comic book store that first time, it really was like, wow, this is where I belong. Oh, nice. And that feeling of, like, there's something for me here, but I, I need to spend a good couple of days, like, digging through stuff. And so I read Scott Pilgrim. And then from that, going back and forth is where I found um, writers like Rick Remender and Jonathan Hickman and kind of those other Marvel writers around, what would that have been, 2011 before they made the jump to Image? I guess Hickman started at Image, so that doesn't really count. But, you know, yeah. um, like Brubaker was just kind of getting into Image. Rick or Remender hadn't really, although I guess he had as well. He's been doing independent before then. So that kind of stuff. And then... It was also, and I'm like kind of ashamed that this is a big part of it because I feel like it's a part of everybody's comic origin. But The Dark Knight Returns was what mm -hmm. made me realize, not that, or made me realize like what is possible in a um, in a sequential art storytelling medium because I remember reading it. And that's a whole other story that we'll do at a different episode because <laughs> I don't want to retell that story. But I remember reading it and going, okay, there's things happening with what the character is doing, right? They're posing. But then there's stuff in the background that's also telling a story. And then the dialogue's telling a story. And then this caption's telling a story. So like all that stuff clicked. And it literally was like somebody took a Lego piece and went click. And you just had that really satisfying feeling. And I went, oh, I get it. Okay, I right. want to do this. And what was your first foray into, into comics like? Expensive. <laughs> <laughs> Right. I didn't come from that that like spinner rack era of like, oh, I have 60 cents. I'm going to go buy 12 comics. Right. Um, and so, yeah, it literally was like, OK, I have my budget for two comics a month. And so I'd read Rick Remender's Venom. Nice. And 
I think it was Hickman was just starting FF, and those were the two. Oh man, that those are really good. That was yeah. a great time. Yeah, I still have the number one Venom, and that's like the one comic that I kept from all of my floppies collecting and stuff. Is is Venom number one? Um, so I say expensive mostly because the conversion rate is crazy when it comes to buying comics in Canada, but yeah. comics now are also more expensive. And I also, at the time, I didn't understand what trades were. So if I were, if I were a, a smarter consumer, I would have been like, oh, I could buy, you know, five floppies for $30 or I could buy this trade for half that or, you know, 20 bucks at least. So that's why I say it's expensive is that was a, a very rough rookie mistake to learn where I could have had significantly more comics for my buck. Um, but it was fun. And again, because I live so far away, I remember actually there was a few friends from high school. And so they'd be going into the city and I'd say, hey, would you go to the comic shop and oh, <laughs> pick nice. up this, this comic for me? And they did it, thankfully. But that was sometimes the only time or the only way that I could read the, the monthly releases that month because of work or other stuff like that. Or, you know, I'm not going to drive three hours to buy one book or something like right. that, right? Um, but I just remember it being really fascinating because reading monthly releases obviously is very different than a trade. And so it was the first time where I would read, I mean, and they're thin, right? Like 20 pages really isn't a lot. I say to the person who writes 20 page <laughs> floppies as well. <laughs> I'm making a month of old. I'm like, I'll write four now. Maybe that'll help. Um, but I remember getting to those to be continued, right? And being like, oh man, four weeks is going to take forever. And I didn't experience that with Shonen Jump because you literally have 500 pages. So if you weren't satisfied with that, it's like, okay, well then like, that's really on you if you can't yeah. be satisfied with 500 pages. So that was tricky. And I think that's really what motivates me to do both bigger single issues. Um, but then also with Crown and Anchor by just doing the like trade releases as the main way that we put out content. Cause like, I want people to feel like they're getting their, mon their money's worth and I want the weight to be worth it. And I want the point to be like, you know, cause I would get Venom number four and I'd read number four and then I'd be like, well, let's read one, two, three, and four. And then one, two, right? Like you have yeah, to yeah. do that. And it was again before trades release. So I didn't even understand that they were supposed to be in like one singular book. I thought it was just like, yeah, you get floppies forever. And if, if it's like a really well-selling thing like Spider-Man or Batman, like, yeah, they'll be collected because that makes sense. But I didn't know that everything does at a certain point, right? So, yeah, I learned a few things and uh, made some personal decisions about how I want to produce work based on that. Because, um, yeah, it was not accessible. And it was, you know, before Comixology, before anything like that. So it really was this, like, I got to save my pennies. And it hopefully is worth it. And in most yeah. cases it was. And when did you decide, I want to do this? And sub-question, what aspect did you try first? Did you try writing or lettering first? Did oh, you try art? <laughs> I never tried art. <laughs> Although maybe as like a very deep reward tier, I could show you a comic that I tried to draw. Although I might have thrown that out. We might not have the book anymore. Oh, but no! If there, uh, you could ask Alaire about it. It was terrible. Actually, she might still have screenshots of it on her Facebook, so she might be able to pull it up. So where it came from was actually not comics. So I had wanted to be a writer in some capacity since I was in grade four. I was reading, uh, there's this Canadian author named Eric Wilson, and he wrote these young adult mystery novels about a brother and sister, 
I don't remember their names, but it was essentially, you know, it was very Hardy Boys, Nancy Drew kind of stuff, but like super Canadian uh, <laughs> to the point where it was like, we're going to go to Regina and something happened at the legislature. And I was like, I've been there. This is super cool, right? Like it was relatable in a way that watching TV wasn't because everything was filtered through a US lens. And I was like, yeah, whatever. That's just typical TV. But like reading that was really, really exciting. So I was like, I'm going to write mystery novels. And so I remember spending this one summer planning out novels and, you know, getting like three pages into it and my hand cramping and thinking, yeah, no, this isn't for me. <laughs> so, and then, yeah, throughout a huge different times of my life, I was a really avid reader and then I was a very against reading and, and stuff like that. So what happened was my last semester of high school, I worked at a library and I didn't want anything to do with the book. And then I, I quit there and I worked, uh, I was working my like full-time job. I worked at a, in a kitchen at a mental hospital. <laughs> so oh, wow. prepare your questions for that for the second episode. Cause I got some fun <laughs> stories. Um, and I actually, I don't remember how I found it. It might've been a friend recommended it, but I started reading the hunger games, right? Okay. So imagine 18 year old Tobin, no friends. <laughs> Cause at that <laughs> point I didn't have any friends left. And uh, I was reading The Hunger Games and it just blew my mind. And I don't know what about it was so evocative. It, it might have just been because I was in like such a drought for for just good storytelling. But the world, I think, was really exciting overall. Yeah. It was a genre that I hadn't really been exposed to. Um, and I mean, say what you will about the genre and, and whatnot. But like that first book is is pretty well crafted. Um, and so I was like, I want to do post-apocalyptic stuff. Like, that's really cool. So I kind of mixed my experiences working at the hospital with like some, you know, some of this history that I knew from where I grew up. And then it almost was like this weird alternative future, like Blade Runner mixed with like a lot of spe specifically Battleford history, <laughs> which was really weird. And I started just typing stuff out. And I remember sending it to my brother and he's like, this is really cool. And obviously, you know, it's the family response, but I feel like my brother's the type of person who, if it was crap, he would say, nah, this isn't really that exciting. Yeah. So I started doing that stuff and I was like, wow, writing prose is really, really, really hard because you have to think of everything. You have to identify everything and, you know, whatever. And that was before, I think that was actually before I actually read comics. And so there was this history of wanting to write. And then I think getting exposed to comics made me realize I don't have to be as specific because I don't need to say all the things because somebody else is doing the heavier lifting. Yeah. And, you know, different writers will disagree with that probably. But I'm pretty lazy because I trust <laughs> that my artists will do what they do, which is art. So the writing came first. Um, I didn't understand, you know, like how panels work and how many panels should be on a page and that kind of thing. It was very rough, but I remember hand, handwriting out some scripts and basically just, it's almost what I do now, but each line was kind of a, a panel, which is kind of how I plot my stuff now. And then, um, so that was what, like 2011 to 2013, I start college in 2014. I meet a layer that fall and I have had maybe 15, 16 issues of just random stuff done by that point, you know, and I don't think I'd shown any of it to anybody. I'd attempted to go to some book clubs. That sounds weird. Writing, writing groups. That's what they would be called. <laughs> uh, 
in college, my first couple semesters to be like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to show these to people. They're going to be blown away. But it was literally people who were like, this is number six of my 10 book volume. Oh, God. I wrote 3000 words this week. What do you think? And just being like, this is not what I thought this was going to be. Right. So I, I hadn't shown them to a lot of people. And then uh, Alaire and I link up, we start making comics and I start showing her stuff. And, you know, some of it resonated. Some of it was not super great. Is a lot of it was inspired by like Chew and Invincible and, and that kind of thing, right? Because that's what was really, really cool back then. I mean, it's still cool now. Whatever. I was going to say, Chew is still pretty cool. Yeah, Chew is, Chew is a masterpiece, that's for sure. Um, so she starts doing some some art for web comics, and then it's around that time where I start feeling really guilty because we're two poor college students, and she's working until midnight on pages, and I'm at home playing Halo with my roommates. And I go, I probably should be contributing more to this to have it be <laughs> a little bit more balanced. And so that's when I thought, oh, okay, well, I'll start lettering. And so I lettered terribly for about six months, and then I met... Um, Ed Brisson at a local convention back in Saskatchewan, back in Saskatoon. Asked him a bunch of questions. We corresponded via email for a good couple of months after that. And the job was three months. And then it was a lot of like emailing uh, editors at Marvel to be like, hey, give me portfolio reviews and emailing professionals like Nate Picos and, and um, oh, there's a ton of them. A lot of a lot of people got a lot of excited emails from me and told me how crappy my work was and all that. So so I've never tried I've never tried art. I was actually taught how to flat by a professor. Oh really? He taught me, he taught me how to flat, and I thought, yeah, this is great. And then I realized, why am I flatting a page, and it's taking me you know an hour, and I'm going to make ten bucks when I could letter like four or five pages in that time and make five times as much. So that was, it was like two weeks where I thought, yeah, this is fun. And then I thought, this is a complete waste of my time. And this is not something that I want to develop skills for. So was that was my only that realization. Yeah, no, it was terrible. My hands aren't built for that. <laughs> Mouse and keyboard, not stylus. No, thanks. It's funny to hear that. I, I, what, I, getting into lettering is something that I think seems so easy on on the surface but then once someone tries it they're like this is impossible uh i know i tried and then i immediately threw up my hands and said no thank you <laughs> uh so to hear that you like you and others just keep going okay let's keep working on this to make it work that kind of perseverance is pretty cool yeah thanks it's fun i mean it it did take there was there was multiple times where i thought this is really dumb but what really made it click so the way that my brain works is I have to relate everything down to Legos. And if I can understand how something is just this version of Legos, then it all makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. So I remember the moment where that happened. I was like, oh, it's just layers. So if I put something on top of this, it's just a Lego on top of a Lego. And that's the Lego that's going to be seen. And that was it. <laughs> For the most part. That was like, okay, the foundation is built. And then everything after that was, you know, design, because that's all lettering essentially is, is just design that you're tricking readers into not really taking notice of. And then you became a master builder and... Uh... I glued all the pieces together. <laughs> <laughs> but Tobin, I, I have a question for you. Uh -huh. So let's say 
that you uh, are waiting in line for some delicious chicken nuggets. Okay. And I think you have me confused with Alaire. Do you have a question? Well, I mean, they're not for you. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) So you get the nuggets, and uh, you just want to make sure that they're all there, and you open up the top, and the genie comes out. Mm. And the genie says, hey, um, I will make you the best at two, two things. However, every time you fart, it's going to be a secret. Someone, anyone near you is going to hear one of your deepest, darkest secrets. Oh, okay. Uh, so first question is, what two things would you want to be the best at? Number two, would you still want those even if every time you farted, number someone two. nearby would hear your secrets? Would you trade it for a number two? Yeah, of course I would say whatever. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like my secrets aren't super dark, but... It's worth it, right? I would pick... So the first thought that came to mind was guitar. Because Mm. that's something I've always wanted to learn. And that was something that I should have used my time better at during the pandemic was to finally pick up guitar. So that was the first thought. I don't think that's an actual answer. I think it would be drumming because that is what my foundation of music is in. So why not just finish with that and uh, do that? So that's the one I'll go with is I'll be the best at drumming. The second one would probably be, okay, actually, I'm going to scrap that. So here's here's some fun stuff that I've like never talked about with people before. So you know how you always hear people who are like, I just turned 40. <laughs> it's funny talking to you about this. I just turned... <laughs> Again, this is, you're striking close to home, so tread, tread lightly. Yeah. People who are like, I just turned 40. I need to make a change in my life. And so they quit their day job, and they're like, I'm going to make goat soap. <laughs> Have you heard so, stories like that? Oh, yeah. It's the, okay. the classic midlife crisis. Yeah. But, okay. So you hear that, but you only hear that when it actually works for them and it sticks, right? You don't hear the people that are like, yeah, I quit my job and I lost my 401k and I made goat soap and now I'm back with my parents, right? You don't hear those kind of stories. Anyways, so my we've been joking, Alaire and I, because I turned 30 this year. And I'm like having a, whatever that is, third life crisis, one third of life crisis. If I live oh, to gosh. 90, that's way too long. So I don't know, two fifths. I'm not going to pass the quarter life crisis. I don't know what this is. Well, that was when I got married. <laughs> <laughs> so the whatever for whatever. Okay, so Alaire and I have been joking that um, if you know being a professor doesn't work and comics doesn't work, what I what well, the the first thought I had was I'm going to throw everything in and I'm going to make candy. I thought you were going to say goat soap. I've got this is a big lead up to goat soap. (laughs) Going to be this old man making candy in his basement and then driving around his white van trying to sell it. (laughs) White windowless van. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So I had that thought. So that was the one thing. But then there was something else the other day where I was like, oh, that's actually what I want to do. So anyway, so we'll we'll come back to candy. So I want to be like the Willy Wonka, right? So that'll be what I want. I want to, I want, that would be what I would want to be. I would want to be the best candy maker um, for that. And then the other one is basically just if like professor and all that stuff doesn't work out and candy maker doesn't work out, I'm literally just going to like have a food cart and sell burgers. <laughs> and I'd always come back to this idea of making food and selling food. Uh, but the, there's the startup cost is redonkulous, right? So anyway, so that would probably be it. I would want to make like the best burger because, right, you go to some town, you go to Portland and you have something that literally is the best burger. Like you'd be set. 
Okay, I just want to run this by you again. You said you don't want to be the best guitarist or the best drummer. Have you have you toured with a musical group? Uh, I would imagine being the best at guitar, the tour is probably a lot easier. Yeah, but you're still like on a bus and planes. Have you been on a plane recently, Grant? It's not fun. Yeah, it's terrible. Like, because that's what I realized when I was in high school. I remember we did... I think we did three shows in the space of a week and it was Ooh. terrible. And we were only driving like an hour. And I thought, I'm I'm gonna do this and like drive across the country at for months at a time with people. I mean, I like the people I was playing with, but you know, like <laughs> that's what I'm really signing up for. So it was a very microscopic taste into what the actual lifestyle would be. No, not for me. I would much prefer to just like lay on the floor than do that. That's how much excitement like literally it was. Like yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. So no, I would want to uh, to do that. I think instead. So those would be the two. So the best candy maker, the best burger maker, and then yeah, let all of my farts be heard. Now, what if your farts, the 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 smell of your farts, was also dialed up? Oh, I don't think that's possible. I think we're at the, <laughs> the echelon all the time. <laughs> we're at, we're at max two. Yeah, we're at uh, what is it? We're at um, DefCon, whatever the numbers work for DefCon. <laughs> the the big one, mm -hmm. the top DefCon. Yeah. Well, now that we've uh, settled that you are quite fine with your your um, colon telling your secrets, uh, we're going to move on to the final five questions. Also, question hold on. Can I footnote? Is yes. it like? I fart and the the genie is like Tobin Rossico cheated in grade four. Like is my name associated with it? Oh no, it's like your butt is blowing out words. Oh so okay. it's like it's not even like a, a, a like a cheek slapping kind of fart. Sure. It's, it's like one of those <laughs> Okay. <laughs> it's just as like Tobin <laughs> Smoker smoker voice, butt farts. <laughs> I don't know what your anus would sound like. So but... it's like it's like the parcel mouth of farts. So we have like anus tongue, which yes, that's not safe for work. Don't Google well, that, people. Now we're going with that. You you get cursed with an, anal because they call tongue. them parcel tongues, right? Mm -hmm. Parcel mouth, parcel tongues, anus. I'm trying to think of other words that are like language associated. What's some D and D terms for speaking? I just Vocal. like an anal whisperer. <laughs> or like an anal murmur. That's my OnlyFans name. <laughs> an anal murmur. Yeah, it's. I have a heart murmur and an anal murmur. <laughs> one of them will kill me and one of them will embarrass me. Oh, that'd be funny if you were like serving up a burger and you farted and it was like, he sneezed in the beef. <laughs> oh man, could you imagine? <laughs> People don't care about that stuff anymore. Everybody knows what they're getting when they get fast food. <laughs> Uh, another sad but true. <laughs> okay, thanks for indulging me. That's as far as we need to go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> so five questions with every guest. Okay. Uh, derived from James Lipton, yada yada. Seatbelt buckle. Is that the soup maker? James Lipton? <laughs> yeah. I'm you... just trying to be. Anyways. <laughs> are you are you trying to be flippant about this very serious? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so number one. We can't go from anal whispers to like seriousness that fast. <laughs> that would that would be absurd. Number one, 
And I feel like you're a good person to ask because you write and letter. Okay. What is your favorite sequential art sound effect? Oh, man. Um, okay, so there's always a special place in my heart for the yoink that I wrote in inside quest number one. <laughs> Only because if you've played Halo Reach, that was such a huge part of that game. Because they introduced in that game, this is where the history comes from, is uh, they introduced assassinations in that game. So if you like ran up behind another Spartan, or any character, but I guess in PvP, and you meleeed them, you do this animation where the camera would cut away and you'd like garret them a little bit or garret, yeah, and then like right stab them in the head. And so that would be the assassination. But if a team member saw that happen and they shot the person that you're trying to assassinate before the animation finished, you would get a yoink medal. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> and so me and my buddy Watson playing Reach would always be like, I yoinked you. And it was like this huge thing. So anyways, so that's where that comes from. So yoink is very good. Um, if it was if it was actually onomatopoetic and not just, you know, this thing that like Sean Murphy would do where he'd be like, gun, reload, right? You're not just like oh. stating a verb. Um, I mean, I like Blam. That's probably a little bit too basic. I'm not one of these people who, I guess I fluctuate. If the book demands that the sounds be a little bit more realistic in terms of, you know, like, what is the sound of a lightsaber turning on? Okay, well, let yeah. me figure out what those letters are. Um, but if it's something, you know, as simple as Blam and it works, that's great. So I don't know. I don't know if I have... A, like a designy answer to that i think it's just yoink um i also don't use a ton of sound effects in my own work anymore so i'm trying to think what i've done in side quest and stuff because i feel like i have lots of fun with those yeah, and this is where i have to make it known that that yoink was 100 percent your idea yeah. and it worked <laughs> out so well <laughs> um yeah, yeah we'll say that just because i can't think of anything better because i don't know if there is anything better at that point so yeah. i think it fit that scene and like the mood of those characters so well it was like just it was a perfect because it was the last panel of the first page yeah and it just works so well because you immediately want to see what what's going on <laughs> who yoinked it so i think i think that's what makes this answer so hard is like i can have a favorite but if the scene doesn't call for it mm. you're never going to see it so more often than not, the favorite is like when the thing actually works within this the actual scene, which yoink, I think, is like, you know, put that on my gravestone because I don't know if there's going to be anything that's more appropriate than that. So that's all I'll say. So number two, what mm -hmm. is something that you love about sequential art? Oh, man, that's a great question. I don't do I think oh, okay so I actually here's a fun story I gave a uh, guest lecture last term in the superhero course because I wasn't teaching it and I called it six comics mechanics that you don't know comics do I don't remember what it was something really facetious and then it was like you won't believe number four <laughs> <laughs> um but I talked about stuff like iPath and page turns and uh sound effects and like how time works in comics talked about lettering uh, I don't remember how many that is but I think I'm missing one or two so I would probably say because this is what I write or how I write more so now I fixate on it is like having a good page turn mm -hmm. 
And the reason why I focus on this so much is because um, the example I gave in my guest lecture is, and here's some spoilers for a book that came out 20 years ago, 18 years ago, something like that. So I think it's 16 years ago. It's Harry Potter and the uh, Half-Blood Prince. So uh, skip to whatever timestamp Grant puts yes. in. <laughs> Spoiler <laughs> alert. If, you, if, you are yeah. if you're not one of the billion people that read this book, then <laughs> okay. So if you're reading Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, Harry's on the astronomy tower. Dumbledore's on the astronomy tower. Snape comes into the astronomy tower. And, you know, Severus, please. Avada Kedavra, boom. In fiction, you don't have control of where that revelation happens, right? You could have it in the middle of the page. It could be at the top of the first page, on meaning the left-hand page. It could be at the middle of the right-hand page. Like, you have no control because of everything else that happens before it. In comics, though, you could have at the very bottom on the right-hand page, Dumbledore, Severus, please. Severus looking really, really angry. You turn the page and you see the spell happen, right? So like that kind of control of when you reveal things or when you don't reveal things is something that is really, really powerful in comics. And I remember listening when I was like really obsessed, right, with learning the craft and listening to podcasts of a a bunch of different writers jonathan hickman talked about this one concept that i try to it's like one of my comic mantras which is the revelation of secrets creates suspense better than the withholding of secrets okay which is another reason why i think that side quest is really great is because you do that really well and like it doesn't even feel forced it's just like this is the natural way that these characters would find things out so by with that in mind when you're scripting you should always right you're always dangling the carrot in front of the reader meaning that whatever's happening at the bottom of the right hand page should be so enticing that they want to turn that page no matter how much time they have left to read no matter how long they have been reading right like every single page turn should be super super enthralling and exciting so that's that's what i would say and then there's such cool things that you can do with that right you can do sound effects that like bleed off into that panel Oh, captions yeah. that like do the baton passing joshua williamson is really good with that in birthright where there'll be a, a, a caption that introduces like what the speaker on the page is saying so you're getting that scene transition even before so it's bridging that gap there's tons of stuff but i think that ultimately is what is really exciting about it is that we have the control because we can say we want four panels on this page and then we want six and that sixth panel is going to have this so that when you turn the page this is the result right so you can really have some fun with that uh this just makes me very angry that you don't have an online course about comics because <laughs> i would like to take it i'm sure everyone else would like to sit down on it as well well it's all well i guess this is just what a, a, academia is but i've just like stolen great concepts from other people who actually know more than me but yeah no i yeah i focus on i think about this stuff a lot because i think it is I recognize it in the comics that inspire me. And so if I can, you know, do do it somewhat as professionally as them, then hopefully the product turns out well. Yeah. And kind of going to the other side of that equation, uh, what is something about sequential art that you dislike? Oh, how freaking long it takes, Grant. <laughs> it's so long. <laughs> we're we're just wrapping up side quest, not side quest. No, um, there's, still, there's still many miles to go before you get like, If only we could wrap up side. <laughs> uh, we're just wrapping up Pilgrim's Dirge number two. And like, I don't know. I don't know what your backlog of, of projects is. Mine. So when I was 
figuring out what I wanted to spend my um, pandemic years doing, at least 2022, I wrote, I think, it's either 13 or 17 graphic novels worth of stories. Cheese and rice. Yeah, it was a lot. <laughs> it was a ton. So, like, I finished all of Crown and Anchor. I finished all the Pilgrimages. Like, I, I crank stuff out. There was times where I wrote five issues in, like, three weeks because Ew. of just how stuff was flowing. And so I have that stack of scripts, and I see that it takes, you know, eight months <laughs> to do a, a creator-owned book and, you know, how stressful Kickstarters are and, you know, all this stuff. I'm preaching to the choir here, right? how long it takes and i wish i could go faster but there's also something that's like equally as stressful as having it come out faster because then it's like well because i think about this a lot so i'm i produce three books right <laughs> pilgrim's dirge emulator and crown anchor and when we plan out how we're going to release the stuff i'm like well people just spend a good chunk of money on crown anchor because that's our hefty book and then pilgrim's dirge is going to be this much and then emulator is going to be this much and if they're too close together like their budget shot yeah Right. And so I'm, I'm again, coming back from that experience of me being an 18 year old trying to get books every month. Like I understand how expensive this stuff is and how much of a luxury it is. And so I don't want people to, to run out of their budget and, and that kind of stuff. Right. I want them to be able to afford it. And so when it coalesces all together and you have all the releases lining up, it's like just as stressful because now I'm like, oh crap, I could release it. And everybody's going to be like, well, we just backed side quest four. So Sorry, Tobin, no emulator for me this year, right? So like that kind of stuff is so tricky. So I guess that's that's a twofer, how long it takes and like how picky and choosy you need to be because, you know, we're not Image who can price stuff at 350 and print 10,000 copies. So we actually profit yeah. off of it, right? We have to be very, very specific in like, we have to price it this way because otherwise, you know, it's just, yeah. So there you go. Time and the time and money of, of sequential art is, is really tricky to be a producer of. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's more than fair. <laughs> um, number four. Uh, I like this one because you are also a parent. Oh, what boy. is your favorite swear word that's not a swear word? <laughs> okay. So we're trying really hard to, I mean, we, we don't use profanity much in the house. Um, we use lots of fun substitutes. So... I say, I think it's monkey fighting. <laughs> it's my like, as my replacement. Um, and then we say gosh. So it'd be like, oh gosh, or oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. And then holy, I think it's holy bananas is the other one that I say a lot. So I guess there's a theme, monkey fighting and holy I was bananas. Say, this is really simian related. It's very odd. So our son has gotten into the habit of saying, holy gosh, which is like a bit too close for comfort for mm -hmm. other things. Um, oh, there's... I just can't stop thinking. I'm tired of all these monkey fighting snakes. Yeah, monkey fighting I, th snakes. I think that's where it came from. <laughs> Honestly, is it just finally made its way into like... Okay, there is one. I'm trying to think if it's in like uh, Faulty Towers or something. I can't think of it. But there's some, yeah, there's some like swear replacement. I think that Basil Fawlty says that's super funny and I can't think of it right now. So there you go. Those are those are my personal choices, I guess. So it's not super uh, spicy, but it does the job. And you can always just send me uh, a DM at 2 a.m. when your brain <laughs> finally regurgitates what the word is. Uh, yeah. So yeah, Tobin, I, I, got some, I got some bad news for you. Uh -huh. 
you uh, finally got your wish and you fell into a candy factory. Oh, boy. And you just went absolutely berserk. You okay. consumed more sugar than anyone has ever consumed before. And your body just essentially crystallized and you died because you became sugar. Okay. So let's assume that you go to what we perceive to be heaven. Okay. And when you get there, you see a small, surly, gray-haired man sitting at a drafting table in a wife beater, and he's working furiously on this crazy spread with lots of circular things and people in crazy costumes, and it is Jacob Kurtzberg, a.k.a. Jack Kirby. Mm. What do you hope he says to you? I didn't know that was his name. Yes, it is. <laughs> uh, what does he say to me? I don't think he would say it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, that's, Re that's really defeatist. <laughs> the reason why I say that. Okay. The reason why I say that. I'm one of these people who could not give a fart that tells my secrets about like that era of comics. Oh my God. Let the hate rain down. I just <laughs> farted. So that can be one of my secrets. <laughs> but like, I don't understand these people who like, will bleed for Jack Kirby and huh. like that era of, of producers. Obviously they set a foundation that, you know, is that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. And modern comics would not be the same without them. Well, what modern storytelling, what like, I get it, but this comes from, you know, I don't understand why we still study Shakespeare. I don't understand why we still study Jane Austen. I don't understand why there is a canon. And if there is a canon of comics, obviously Kirby stuff is going to be in there. Mm -hmm. But I'm the kind of person who disavows all of that and says, okay, what are people doing now? What's important now? Who are the people who, you know, who are the modern Jack Kirby? And I hate using that as well because I don't think that that kind of, again, like pedestal is is good to produce in this kind of an industry because then you yeah. just create another outlier and, and that kind of stuff. Um, so if I noticed it was him, I'd be like, hey, thanks but I'd keep on walking because I'd be very confused as to why Jacob Kurtzberg is in a wife beater smoking his cigar in heaven. I'm like, why are there cigars in heaven? Anyways, but yeah. So yeah, let, let whatever opinions form about that. But that's honestly how I feel about like all kind of media. It's the same reason why like I've never watched Citizen Kane and, and well, even Blade Runner, despite all the times I've tried watching it. Like I understand that that stuff is um, paramount for the development of this industry and uh the storytelling medium and stuff like that but i don't care because it's it's ultimately outdated <laughs> this is also going to sound really bad it's ultimately outdated and what people are doing now should be given more of a spotlight than continually focusing on like the the trailblazers of it i think there comes a point where we have to say thanks so long yeah I agree to an extent, and I think it, it can also just boil down to sometimes it grabs you and sometimes it doesn't. I think his stuff is awesome. Like, the reason why I love Nick Dragata is because he's essentially a modern Kirby. Mm -hmm. You look at Kirby's faces, you look at Dragata's faces, it's like one-to-one. -one. But again, Dragata's bringing in manga influences. He's bringing in, you know, Eastern storytelling um, aesthetics and stuff. And so, like, for me, that's the kind of stuff I want to see. It's like, sure, bring it forward. But don't just give me like Fantastic Four number one and say, this is the greatest thing ever. Because like, no, it's not. 
Dracov is also working with better writers. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. So, yeah, what was your point? What, sorry, say it again. What was your point? Oh, sometimes stuff just doesn't grab you. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, so yeah, I can I can understand his aesthetic. Like, I like it. I think it's, you know, again, I understand why it's impactful. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's uh, there's some reasons why I don't have Kirby books on my thing. And, and that, okay, so I guess the other reason is, is not only do people champion it so hard that they will die on that hill, but I find that people just kind of want to, they want to do their own version of it, if that makes sense. Yeah. So something like Mr. Miracle by Tom King and, and Mitch, like, I feel like it's just a love letter to that. Like, doesn't he show up in that book? Like he's in it? To be honest, I didn't finish it. <laughs> okay. That's wholly fair. And I do not blame you for that. But that's what I mean, right? Is like, they they can't get away from it. They're always mm -hmm. trying to like haul that stuff forward and be like, look, look, we're honoring him. We're doing what he was doing. It's like, well, obviously you're in the same industry, but like do your own stuff, right? And that's really why <laughs> if you ask like Alaire, will you ever work for Marvel in DC? She'll be the first one to be like, hell no. There's no way that I'm doing that kind of stuff. Why? Because you're just telling somebody else's story. So if you're continually going back to Kirby to like, I'm going to, you know, do a, a fanboy comic about that, or I'm going to do my version of Fantastic Four or whatever. It's like, no, how about we get more stories like Side Quest or more stories like Chrono Anchor, where it's like completely disavowing whatever has happened in the past. And it's just, this is what I think is cool. And I'm going to do that. Which of course comes with the caveat, because if people think that Jack Kirby is cool, they're going to do that. So I, I understand that my logic is not completely sound. Uh, I'm just speaking very emotionally at 10.30 p.m. after a very long day. So Speaking right from the anus. That's right. Fart whispers. <laughs> Here we go. Well, Tobin, thank you much, so much for, for joining me. Where can folks find you on the socials? I'm a very uh, misanthropic socialer. <laughs> you, only, <laughs> you really only get posts when... I have uh, like books coming out, which I know is not great because then I'm just a salesman, not a person. Um, so I'm semi-active on Twitter at Tobin Rossico. Alaire and I have a site, uh, rossico.art. Sign up for the newsletter. That's the best way to to see the things that happen, right? So for this year, I've been doing like talking head videos about where our influences come from. So you get to hear me talk about Final Fantasy and manga and why One Piece was so amazing and different things like that. So that's probably the best way to keep in touch. Twitter, whatever. Uh, I don't do anything else. Oh, I have an art station, but I haven't updated that in a long time. I should do that. I should update, <laughs> I should update my portfolio. It's a good reminder for that. And then I was streaming on Twitch. I would stream games, but that's not really something that I care to like have people spend their time doing. <laughs> thank you very much thanks Grant this is fun this has been a comic book yeti production you can find new episodes on Spotify Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and anywhere podcasts stream for more information on the comic book yeti please visit comicbookyeti.com and for more of Grant visit grantstoy.com or on Twitter at Grant and Stuff <laughs>